Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast, and we have a Patreon. This show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. Right now, we're covering The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Um, so basically, it's like for about, you know, as little as a dollar a month, you get a bonus episode every week. And right now that's the show we're covering. And also just a weekly roundup of everything else I'm watching because I get a lot of questions about what else I'm watching, but it doesn't fit the movie podcast. So that goes on the Patreon. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons. And they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker and Jeff Woodman. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Well, I've got a familiar voice on the podcast that you haven't heard in a while. I've got Chris Katz. Say hi, Chris. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing very well. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. For sure. And so, Chris, um, you know, we've known each other in real life, and then you also got a podcast, right, called The Last Theater? Yes. The Last Theater on cnjradio.com. So awesome. we have a we have a, a group of podcasts over there, but the last theater is my movie podcast, mostly horror movies, things like that. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, what was the last episode we talked? Was it Perfect Blue? Yeah, yeah. Was it that man? That was a while ago. That was a, that was a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird to think that this podcast has been going on for a few years. But I know, right? Anyway. Congratulations, by the way. It's <laughs> been going great. Thanks. Um, well, Chris, uh, you know, my guest always picks the movie. What movie did you choose to talk about today? I chose, well, many people that know me, and if you've listened to my show before, I do horror movies, but I wanted to do something that wasn't a horror movie. And I love pretty much all genre movies, um, especially if, like, we just talked about Perfect Blue. Um, I enjoy Japanese movies a lot, too. So I picked one of my favorite Japanese genre movies over the past few years. It is First Love from 2019. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that you picked these movies because there's so many like Korean films, Japanese films, mm. other, you know, Asian cinema that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough Yeah. Um, in movie podcasts. So I, I really I'm, I was excited about this one. I hadn't seen it. But mm-hmm. I, I saw it and I really enjoyed it. You you clued awesome. me in that you can watch it for free on Tubi, yes. which I've never even downloaded. So I finally downloaded oh, really? that. Yeah, yeah. I over the past year, I've used that a ton. They have a really good like old school horror section on there, too. So, yeah, recommended for horror yeah. fans for sure. 
that surprised me. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. And I was like, it's free. I'm like, this yeah. seems too good to be true, but right. okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, okay. So First Love, like I've already established, I have never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see this movie in theaters or how did, how did you hear about this film? I did see it in theaters. Um, there is, you know what I'm going to be talking about, the Angelica Theater. Um, yes, yes, in Dallas, one, yeah. Yeah. So in it's, Plano. yeah, there's a few across the country. So, but I don't get out to that theater very often because it's about 45 hour minute drive, mm. but they, whenever I see that there's like a Japanese movie that they have, I'll, I'll just go whatever it is. So, because you just don't see them in theaters hardly at all ever around here. But, uh, yeah, so I just went into this blind, just knowing that it was a Japanese movie with action and there was a guy with a sword on the front on the poster. So I was like, oh, that cool. <laughs> seems promising. Yeah, it seems promising. <laughs> I'm probably going to like it no matter what. I didn't even know, like, who directed it or anything. Turns out it's directed by Takashi Miike, who I think a lot of people out there may know. Um, Audition, he did that. Um, and he's done tons of genre movies. So, hmm. but I found that out afterwards, after I found out that <laughs> I just loved the movie. That's so funny because, okay, not the same. This was a Mm -hmm. Korean film, but um, I remember one time I met up with my friend Kara at the Angelica, and Mm -hmm. this was a few years ago, and we didn't pick a movie. We just, like, showed up. We're like, we'll just see whatever is, like, going to play, which is, like, not something I would do anymore. So it feels like that was a time that kind of was already dying off. But (laughs) um, I saw Snowpiercer that way. I just saw the poster, and I was like, okay. Didn't realize who was starring in it. Didn't realize who directed it. And of course, loved it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was and, and went in totally blind. So that was a good experience. But yeah, yeah the Angelica is really good for stuff like that. I, um, I've been back a few times over the years. But there was a time where I was there a lot. And that has kind of waned just because, you know, you can access a lot of this stuff streaming now. Same, but I kind of yeah. miss that. I miss just showing up to a theater and not really knowing what the movie's about and just like walking in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I do too. Cause I would do that with that theater specifically. Like I would go out there not knowing, knowing when the start times were basically, but just picking the movie as mm-hmm. I got there. And since it's such a drive, yeah. I'd usually like stay and watch another movie right after it. And it's oh, like a neat smart. little yeah. downtown area. So yeah. So, but I don't do that as much anymore. Cause one, a lot of times they're playing a lot of like pretty wide release movies now. And yeah, like you said, you can find it. Yeah. All I noticed anyway. that. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it is a lost true. time for me, too, because I was there <laughs> more than I probably should have spending money on out there. But yeah, it was it was. Uh, time, yeah. Right? I noticed that my bank account got happier after I couldn't go to Alamo. For <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so this movie, uh, you know, if, if you've listened to this show before, you know that I I don't really do like, a, OK, now we're going to talk about spoilers just because mm-hmm. it's kind of a free flowing discussion. So. If you right. have not seen this movie and you are worried about spoilers, I would pause here and go see it and then just come back. Um, and if you're still here, here is the summary that I have for this movie. It's very short, but here it uh-huh. is. One night in Tokyo, a self-confident young boxer and a prostitute, I would say sex worker, gets caught up in yeah. a drug smuggling plot involving organized crime, corrupt cops, and a female assassin. So yeah, this does sound yeah. like a movie you would like. Right. <laughs> it's kind of got some ingredients there. I feel like interest you. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, it everything every word in that in those sentences, I, I like those things in movies. So <laughs> and I, I I think another thing that grabs me is Yakuza. It's not in the top in that thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love Yakuza movies. And uh, I, I mean I'm just 
love I love all genre movies pretty much like Yakuza horror movies, mm-hmm. sci-fi, whatever. Like I love genre movies and uh, Takashi Miike is like the master of genre. Like he's kind of known in the United States as like a horror guy, mostly because of audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but really he kind of made his name on Yakuza movies back in the like nineties and early two thousands. Um, so yeah, he's just a master of, genre and you can see like all of those influences in this movie like that description you gave is accurate but it kind of only scratches the surface of like everything that's like put into this movie absolutely there's actually a little bit of horror elements in this film too surprisingly but yeah i noticed that that seems to be the genre that crosses over here the most anyway Mm -hmm. for whatever reason um i guess because everybody can kind of relate to horror and maybe some of his other films are more steeped in the culture and have a little bit more nuance it's just easier to be like here's a horror movie right uh but yeah that's that's interesting to know that you know he's definitely not limited to horror i think that was that's why i was surprised when you said oh same director i was like oh Mm -hmm. i wouldn't have guessed that but i guess i haven't seen enough of his films to to know that about him yeah and he's done a lot of more recently probably last five ten years or so he's done a lot of like manga and anime like live action movies oh okay so he's done like magical girl movies and he's done kids movies and fantasy and a musical that is bizarre but so he's kind of touched like every (laughs) kind of like different kind of genre thing that that comes out of japan basically oh that's awesome yeah well um yeah i i also like like i was saying uh you know movies that have to do with any sort of organized crime i don't know i'm always a sucker for those kind of films so i like (laughs) that element of this too um, but I think like it's I, I'm not going to say I, it, it's a little different from some of those types of films. So I, I liked that it was like a different perspective, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's see. Do you know the cast very well in this movie? Is it familiar to you or there? Most of them I didn't uh, when I was watching it. Some of them looked kind of familiar, uh, but then doing research afterwards, a lot of them were just like actors that have been in like a hundred movies or more or younger actors that have Mm -hmm. been in like 30 to 40 movies, a lot of TV actors, things like that. Um, One in particular who is probably, she probably plays my favorite character in the movie, Julie. Um, She is amazing in the movie. I had no idea she was going to be in it. Her real name is Becky. Uh, She's like a, a talent in Japan, which basically means like, she models, she sings, she hosts television. She kind of just does everything. Uh, just um, like a familiar face, like yeah. a big presence over there. Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty actually extremely well known because uh, she's all over television like all the time. And I knew her from just being a fan of Japanese television and things like that. Um, but also, coincidentally enough, I'm a fan of uh, the show So You Think You Can Dance. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, like a few seasons ago, one of my favorite dancers, I was like, she looks so familiar. Her name was JJ. Turns out she is Becky's sister. So there was like oh, that wow. second uh, recognition. So it kind of solidified Becky in my brain. It's like, okay, I know who she is. So yeah, so she there... was the only she was the only one I knew. And when I saw that she was in it, I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And then she turned out to be like one of the most fun characters. So it was really cool. Yeah, she definitely is one of the most fun characters. And yeah, sounds like she's part of... I guess like their version of Hollywood royalty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't recognize the cast either, but I admit, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Japanese films. I've seen a few that I really like, mm-hmm. and it's definitely, you know, um, I would definitely like to see more. Right. So, you know, if you have some or anyone listening has suggestions, send them my way. I, yeah, I'm i interested, but I'm just not super familiar with the cast or really the director. I think I saw mm. part of the audition, but we turned mm. it off because... <clears throat> like uh because nick without <laughs> throwing him under the bus too much uh-huh. he doesn't really love like i don't know how to say it like gory stuff it depends yeah. but he can't he's like sensitive to it a little bit more than some people are and so we didn't end up sitting through it and then i just never returned to it yeah. um so i haven't seen it all the way through so even that i hadn't seen but i really yeah. like this film so it definitely makes me want to see more of what he's done for sure yeah, I and definitely I can I can give suggestions to anyone who who would want them because uh, I think he's he's great. He does like I said some bizarre stuff. Um, have you seen One Missed Call? He did that one too. It's one yes, of like I did I early two thousands J horror. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, I think that I did see that one. Yeah. Not not okay. the best, but it was it was it was a good one, a memorable one. Like intriguing. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the concept is intriguing. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, since we've kind of covered like the cast and the director. Um, do you want to tell us some of your favorite scenes from the movie? You can go chronologically or just favorite scenes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so like I said, Julie is probably in most of my favorite scenes. Um, (laughs) but also the character of Kase, uh, the younger Yakuza guy who sets the whole drug deal up. Uh Um, he's, I just think he's hilarious. Like the way that <laughs> he's like so quiet. So when he's setting up this drug deal with the crooked cop and he's just very matter of fact, but then when you see him with the Yakuza bosses in like whatever their hideout, whatever, and he's talking to like Gondo, the, the one with the sword, the, like the one that got out of prison, like mm-hmm. he's so meek and quiet and he's just yeah. like very subservient. But then when, when he turns on his like, uh, stereotypical Yakuza voice like whenever he's on the phone when he pulls the phone out <laughs> of the guy's hand is like screaming at Julie about like what she needs to do and uh, I just love it when he like turns that uh, that switch and he just goes into the like mid 90s Yakuza voice that he does it's just so much fun but uh, yeah I noticed I thought his plan was so dicey I was like yeah. okay so I mean granted I've only seen this movie once but basically mm. Um, for those of you that haven't seen it, there's kind of a war brewing between like the Yakuza and then like the Chinese mafia mm-hmm. and everybody really. And it's has a lot to do with like drugs and the fact that the world's changing and yeah. he's kind of trying to get ahead of that and get out of there. Right. Um, and his idea is to turn in all the drugs to the cops and also simultaneously take some people out in the process, right. lay low in prison for a couple years and then hopefully everyone's killed each other. I was like, this plan does not have, he hasn't, I don't know. It sounds scary to me. <laughs> he, he's but, not the smartest guy, which, which you not, see that no. as, it, as it goes forward. <laughs> he's very impulsive, which is, yeah. he's really one of the driving forces of the entire like plot. Cause there's so, it's so difficult to kind of explain all the in, different plot points coming together. Sure. Cause it really is like, like you said, it's the Yakuza, it's the Chinese, uh, we haven't even talked about uh, Leo and Monica, who were like the first love of first love, because they're kind of separate. But it all comes together at the end. But uh, talking about my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is the car ride that Kase has with Julie, 
Um, it's <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of a quieter scene. There's not as much action in it, but just like the dialogue between the two of them. So, so in this plot, uh, Kase has, he's stolen the drugs. He ended up killing the guy that had the drugs, who was the boyfriend of Julie. And when he goes back to the Yakuza group, and they he's pretending like, oh, I don't know. It was probably the Chinese trying to start the war. He basically, long story short, Kase ends up having to drive Julie home uh, just to basically get her out of the way while they go find the Chinese mm-hmm. and start their war. And then his phone rings and it's the crooked cop that he has has this plan that screwed up already. And that's one of the times when uh, he when he just starts yelling in his Yakuza voice to Julie and the like, look <laughs> on her face because. At this point, she's been like either completely in love with her boyfriend who is now dead or just like 100% rage. Like she has no in between between those two things. And mm-hmm. it was one of the few times where Julie kind of is taken aback. He's like, oh, like what's going on? Um, but yeah, and then that leading into when he takes her home and then the whole like <laughs> setup where he's going to like, all right, I've already killed one person. I need to get her out of the way too. He ends up killing the grandmother who I assume is the grandmother by punching her in the face. And then he's going to yeah, like, like unintentionally yeah. he, he accidentally kills her. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's just like, Oh, well at that point he was kind of like, all right, I guess this is just what's happening tonight. And so he sets up to kill Julie <laughs> as well. And then just, I think the editing of Takashi Miike, cause he edited it too. Like when oh. the the fire happens and it just wakes Julie up and she's like, oh, my God, hot and just books it out of the window and explosion like the the bam, bam, bam pace of all that is just hilarious to me. Julie is like indestructible. I, I mean, yeah. it's like she's gets into so many situations that you think are going to go one way and they mm. just she just you can't kill her. And yeah. yeah, I agree with you about the plot. It, it's sort of I guess like if you haven't seen this movie, it's kind of Guy Ritchie ish. Yeah. In yeah. like that, you know, having a lot of things in motion at the same time. Um, right. So that that adds like a layer to the film that, that makes it pretty fun. And yeah, I didn't know that about the editing, but it, it I do think the editing has a lot to do with, um, you know, how well the movie is like paced and and making everything mm-hmm. kind of fit together and make sense. And yeah, that is a really good scene. Yeah. By that point in the movie, Julie, you know almost got killed by that creepy guy that was like, Oh, keep her alive mm-hmm. and teasing her and yeah. stuff. And then she murders him instead. <laughs> and then she gets Stomps away and then in, yeah. she's out for blood. And then, yeah, that was pretty yeah. crazy. Um, and then she, you know, once again uh, is almost killed, but somehow gets away again. It's like, it happens a mm-hmm. few times in the movie and it's, it just makes her seem like a, mm-hmm. a total badass. <laughs> Yeah, and she's just fueled by like rage and screaming like all the time at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the image of her <laughs> exiting, like so, skipping way ahead, just going out of order. Whenever uh, the whenever the whole plan of Kase and the cop is kind of everybody knows at this point, and they're in the car and they get stuck yeah. on that bridge, and his yakuza bosses are there, and they're like, "We got, we have someone you know," and it's Julie, and like the image <laughs> like of her stepping out of the car no shoes, pantsless, huge fur coat, and just dragging the crowbar behind her with that look on her face. And then, like, <laughs> cut to, like, she's jumped like, up onto oh. the windshield of the car. Yeah. He's like, uh, back up, back up, back up. And, yeah, so that was, that's another one of my favorite <laughs> scenes, for sure. And she breaks, like, the window and then hits him in the leg with it. 
it stabs him screams. yeah with, with like, the end of the crowbar yeah she's like so scared yeah <laughs> yeah that's when he kind of drops his yakuza facade for a little bit <laughs> yeah <sure. laughs> he he realizes he is in over way over his head at that point <laughs> he didn't think this through a little bit too late for she's that, definitely yeah. a wild card yeah yeah definitely um what is another I, we haven't talked about the lovers yet yeah so i mean so one of the things i despite my better judgment i do go online and look at like user reviews and things like that just see like people must love this movie and then of course there's those <laughs> uh of course there's always those reviews they're like this is dumb and like there's there's no romance and why is it called first love and i mean I sort of get that because it, this is not a romance. It's not a rom-com or anything like that. I think the first love of the title may be misleading to people, but it's really about them coming together. So like I mentioned before, Leo and Monica. So Leo is a boxer and he was abandoned as a child. He's kind of emotionless when we first meet him. So he's, he's the first person we see in this movie and he's just going about, he's training for boxing, just completely blank look on his face. Um, he wins the boxing match and his uh, coach is like, just like pose, do something. He's like, nah, whatever you want, but he doesn't do it. Uh, and then Monica, like you said, the uh, sex worker who is uh, basically a slave to the Yakuza because of her father's uh, debts to the Yakuza. And she is, quote, paying them off by uh, doing sex work. And they had like addicted her to drugs as well just to keep her in line so those are the two uh lovebirds in this movie that that slowly come together and uh, uh i guess some of my favorite scenes do deal with them as well especially with uh monica and her the images of her father like the hallucinations that she has yeah she's um you know hasn't had access to the drugs that she's addicted to for a while in the film mm -hmm. and so she's hallucinating and she keeps hallucinating her father who put her in this situation um she is paying his debts but he also like willingly was just like yeah take her yeah. and we also find out that he was like abusing her as mm -hmm. well so he just like haunts her the whole film and keeps showing up and also kind of propels the plot forward because yeah when she runs away from the cop, mm -hmm. it's actually because she thinks she sees her father and she's like hallucinating. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. I liked Monica's character a lot. I thought, and I, I, you know, I don't know. I like the way that the movie goes. I think that they have a connection, mm -hmm. but it would be like too corny to me if they had centered this movie around the relationship more than they did. I think they did just enough. Personally. I agree. Yeah, because uh, one thing I noticed, uh, I watched it recently. Uh, again, I watched it came out in 2019. I've probably seen it at least five, six times at this point now. I just I, this is one of those movies that's already like rocketed to the top of my like, I don't know what to watch. I'll just watch this movie because I love it. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. And this time watching it, paying closer attention to like every scene and shot. Uh, Leo and Monica don't kiss throughout the entire movie, which I knew before. It, if you remember that that final scene of the movie after everything is, is said and done and Monica and Leo are together and they're living in an apartment together, there's that really wide shot when it's snowing. And if you look really closely, it looks like Leo leans over for a kiss as the door shuts, but we don't even see it. So like that's the closest we get to any sort of like real like traditional romance in the movie, which 
I think is smart because like you said, yeah. I think if they had done it any other way, it would have seemed unrealistic. And instead it's just these two people who their parents did terrible things to them, which put them on these like horrible journeys that they're trying to break out of coming together to find each other, to lean on each other in order to break free from what their parents did to them, basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, they've just met Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're in a really intense situation, and but they're both broken to a certain extent. Oh, for sure. Like, um, the, the boxer, he, yeah, he, he really, I, I noticed that that came back around at the end of the film where he's full of life at the end where he's mm-hmm. like, when he wins, he really celebrates. And before he just yeah. lacked any internal motivation and he sees that fortune teller that tells him like, you know, that you should fight for somebody or you should love somebody, which I feel like is like a very familiar um, theme that I've seen in these types of movies before that idea of, you know, somebody else is going to kind of give you purpose and he doesn't believe that because he doesn't have anyone in his life and Monica becomes that person, but not in like a corny way, just in a, she needs help and then he's there and so he helps her but then their relationship happens organically as they get to know each other and then it doesn't the fact that it doesn't happen right away in the end i think is good because it it gives you the impression that they really got to know each other and then they came together versus them just because i think a lot of times in movies like that i think oh well they're in an intense situation so they're having intense feelings how do you know if that's even real not that this has to be realistic but i think it does make it more realistic Exactly. I that's one of the things why yeah, I think it is a great romance in that respect in that they didn't you don't see them ever come together romantically uh, except in maybe that one scene like I said I'm not exactly sure but cuz <laughs> but that's what it looked like. But you don't even see yeah. that until after Monica we see her go through rehab and after uh, Leo is like you said he's come around and he actually has emotions and he's living instead of just like getting by so they don't actually come together until they both worked on their own issues and then which is very mature here. yeah exactly yeah like <laughs> that's that's actually a good message instead of yeah. leaning on the other person to help you get through your uh tough times you know work on yourself and then come together i think very positive <laughs> messaging yeah that. which with a movie like this with you wouldn't think a whole lot of mature <laughs> stuff would come out of it but <laughs> It really does. I think that's one yeah. of the that's one of the things I love about Takashi Miike is he's very uh, good at like the little things like that. He he knows exactly. He's made like a hundred and something movies, so he definitely knows how to like wow. get that get that in there. Um, I also kind of similar. I like how Leo, uh, even though he was helping Monica, um, he did. When it comes to physicality, of course, he's like upfront because he's a boxer and he's a fighter, and that's what he does. But when it was came to yeah, like he pretty much takes her... people out with one punch. <laughs> yeah, <Sorry. laughs> but when it comes to helping her deal with like the more mental side of it and the drug issues and things, he wasn't leading her. He was like throwing out suggestions, but letting her lead herself to wherever she needed to go. And I thought that was a really neat. It was it was a really good way to uh, portray that. So he she wasn't following him. She had followed everyone throughout her life. Her father, the yakuza that were keeping her prisoner. But Leo was allowing her to be free to make her own decisions throughout the entire movie. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I thought that was cool. But yeah, so we did speak about her father and the uh, hallucinations. Another one of my favorite scenes is on the subway when uh, she sees the uh, hallucination of her father in the up to this point. It had been a very horror 
esque uh, situation whenever she saw her father, uh, because he at the very beginning of the movie he rises up out of the sheets like some kind of ghost, and he's mm-hmm. like just almost completely naked, but he's it doesn't come across as funny; it comes across as menacing. Um, but yeah. uh, with Leo there by her side, she sees her father again and he recognizes he knows at this point what she sees he's like you see him all right well here try this and he puts the uh, earbud in her ear with the music and then the hallucination of her father starts to do that dance in the middle of the subway <laughs> so yeah it was a really neat way of uh showing how he's like kind of guiding her away and helping her deal with stuff like that but in a very like visual and comical way turning that horror yeah. into something that's kind of funny. Yeah, I agree. That was a good moment. It's it's kind of like redirecting her thoughts mm-hmm. without telling her what to think. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is it is like a really good... Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it, that, that is true. And in that same scene, uh, that was, I believe, that's the first like real moment of contact between the two of them because as mm. she's uh, laughing, basically, like she's still kind of scared, but she's laughing about it. She can't help herself. She puts her hand on Leo's uh, knee when they're together in the subway. And then he takes a second. You can see Leo look. He looks at her hand first. He realizes it's there. But then at the very end of the scene, he grabs her hand and holds it. Well, it's hard for him, too, because like we said at the beginning of the movie, he's been very closed off from everyone. Yeah. So it's hard for them to connect. They're both like very lonely. Mm. It's almost like a kind of like the movie The Professional, (laughs) like a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. um but yeah it's like but obviously they're the same age and it's a little bit more balanced but um (laughs) (laughs) it's different from that movie uh but yeah i kind of got that vibe of like two people coming together that don't really yeah that don't have anybody and and it's sweet um but yeah yeah we hadn't even talked yet about the uh, diagnosis that leo got at the beginning oh my gosh yeah (laughs) like when we said there's a lot going on in this movie there really is so yeah go ahead so Leo, uh, we see him win one boxing match in that like training montage just to kind of set you up with the character of Leo. And uh, we see a second boxing match where he's doing his thing. He's just like a really great boxer, as we've said. And he has the guy back into the corner and the guy just swings wildly and it catches Leo in the side of the head and he stumbles and falls and he ends up going to the hospital for it. And they reveal to him that he has a tumor at the base of his neck and they probably can't operate on it. And the doctor tells him, I don't know how much longer you have to live like days, hours, weeks, months, who knows. And so that's kind of where Leo, that's his trajectory at the beginning of this. For sure. I've learned from movies that if you start not caring about life, you're about to get a terminal diagnosis. You're right. (laughs) So, you know, like to make you realize how precious life is. So don't, don't say that. Um, Yeah, but yeah, you're right. And and also when he when he loses that match and like passes out, mm-hmm. um it it's very obvious right away that something's like super wrong. Like it doesn't feel like the guy punching him did that. So you right. kind of already are like, "Uh-oh." Yeah, um, cuz he stumbles yeah. in it he, in an odd way. It's not like a knockout punch where you just kind of like ragdoll to the ground. He like is almost standing, but you can see it in his eyes that he's like doesn't know what's happening, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And like, I noticed too, when he gets the diagnosis, I thought it was interesting that he was like, well, what if we just like, don't do anything? And Mm -hmm. they're like, well, if we don't even try, then 
you're dead. And he's like, I cannot accept that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's horrifying. And so then he, he goes out into the world and that's, I think that's when he meets like the fortune teller, right? Cause he's yeah. like sitting where the guy's trying to set up mm-hmm. and he's like, this is where I set up and then kind of realizes how sad he is and offers to read his fortune. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where that happens. And that's where the fortune teller is telling him, uh, well, you, if you fight, you fight, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I'm a boxer. Like, Oh, well you should fight for someone else, not just for yourself. And uh, he also, and then Leo, he's like, all right, whatever. Like, it's just some random thing to say as a fortune teller. And then he yeah. asks him to read his health, Leo does. And the uh, fortune teller is like, oh, I see a long life, great health. You're in perfect health. And that, that sets Leo off. Like the anger, like you didn't really see anger before. You saw maybe a little glimmer of it in the hospital when he was getting the diagnosis. But he, it, it seems pretty apparent that he's always kind of like pushed it down. Um, but he kind of, this is one of the first times he kind of explodes. He doesn't really do that often. And this is one of the only times he does, but he yells, it's like, this is, this is garbage. What you're just, you're, you're making this up basically. And he's just yeah. mad at the world at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, that's a good point. Like he has a pretty violent profession, you know, boxing, yeah. but he's very reserved in right. general and like only explodes a couple times in the movie mm-hmm. but for the most part he he really holds it together which makes him like a i think that makes him like a really cool and interesting protagonist i kind of i like i liked that about him yeah for sure and uh just the like the whole arc of leo is basically like you said uh learning how to live and that uh comes to find out later way in the movie way late in the movie um <laughs> Like at this point, so after the scene where we talked about where the uh, Kase, the drug dealer and the crooked cop and Leo and Monica are with him in that car when Julie attacks. And this is where everything is starting to come together. The Chinese mafia is there as well. And everything basically for the last probably 30, 40 minutes of the movie is a basically a gigantic chase fight scene within a department store. But um, at this point, Leo has kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, at this point, Leo has already accepted his fate. Basically, he's like, well, I know I'm going to die. And he's starting to think that, like, since he knew he was going to die, then that's why he's been able to do all of these things tonight. He shot a gun for the first time in his life. He killed a guy for the first time in his life in self-defense, but he still did it. And uh, then he gets a call or he gets the messages from the uh, the doctor saying, uh, sorry, we messed up. You're, you're fine. There's no tumor. You're not going to die. And you see his hand shaking as the, the calls uh, keep coming in, which that was pretty funny too. The, the series of messages from the doctor. <laughs> the doctor yeah. called so many times yeah. and he's worried. He's like, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Oh my God. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> Just like over and over again, like worrying this poor kid yeah. did something, you know, and cause he hasn't heard from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he's in trouble essentially <laughs> because yeah. he told somebody they were dying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's also funny because, you know, we, we've gotten used to the stakes for the whole movie. We feel like it's a guy with nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And so that's like you said, that's why he's been emboldened to do all these things. But now he has a lot to lose because mm-hmm. he he's actually healthy, just like the fortune teller said. Right. So he needs to try to get out of this so he can go ahead and live that long life. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. And it just turns his whole world upside down again. So, like, he's accepted the fact that he's going to die. And if he's going to die for Monica, then great. He's helping someone and he wasn't going to live anyway. 
But now at this point, he has a life to live and he's learned a lot about himself tonight and he doesn't want to die. And that whole so but now he's trapped in this department store with the Yakuza (laughs) and the Chinese mafia all trying to kill him. So it just (laughs) it was I think it was a masterful way to like bring every plot thread together into just one place and let everybody basically just fight to the death. (laughs) They've got to all conveniently fight to the death so he can, yeah, he can get away. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they've got all those weapons and like, and that's one thing I love is that uh, every character, and we haven't even talked about all of them yet, they all have, at least the main ones, have some sort of arc, whether it's mm-hmm. big like Leo and Monica or small like uh, the one-armed uh, Chinese mafia guy versus Gondo. Oh, yeah. Like the uh, so the Chinese mafia, there's three main people. There's uh, the main guy who I did write all these names down. <laughs> uh, the main guy, no name, yeah, the main guy's name is Fu. He's the like the boss, and then Wong is the one armed, uh, one armed fighter with the sword. He's looking for revenge against Gondo, who is the the Yakuza boss. And then uh, Jia Z is the uh, another one of my favorite characters. Really, the uh, chi- the Sorry, the person that you said in the uh, write-up that was the uh, female assassin, I believe. Uh, she's oh, the one yeah, that yeah. at the beginning of the movie, she's talking about the Yakuza movies and she's like romanticizing the uh, the loyalty and the honor of the old school Yakuza. And like these new Yakuza, mm. are, the ones on the streets today are just terrible people. And so she's romanticizing that like old school Yakuza. And I really think that uh, Gondo represents that old school Yakuza. He's the one that's like all about honor and we have to fight the Chinese because they like impinged on our honor and we have to stand up to them. So there's really neat generation gap between like him and Kase. Um, But yeah, so everything comes together and the scenes between uh, the female assassin and Leo in the department store, I really liked a lot. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. There's sort of a, you know, old school versus new new school. And I think the old school mentality ends up kind of working in favor of the main characters towards the end. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like selflessness and uh, helping, like giving to others, whether it's physically or mentally, which mm-hmm. really only Leo and Monica did. Um, yeah. The, the female assassin did as well, the Chinese mafia member. Because uh, she she recognized like her love of that honor honor and loyalty like she saw that in Leo and she ends up letting him go and eventually him and Monica together she lets both of them go even though her boss right. would probably have killed her if he knew that she did that but she still did it because she like I said romanticizes that that idea that Leo represents so like I guess this was a long way to get to it little tangent but that was like her arc is at the beginning, we mm-hmm. see her talking about that. And at the end, she actually does it. Right. Yeah. Instead of just talking about it. And yeah. she's drinking, right? When she's yeah, talking she, about cause it. Yeah. Because she is at the, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's at the restaurant that Leo works at as like a egg peeler dishwasher guy. Yeah. I thought she was going to end up being Monica's character at the very first scene. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, she's not. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, seen, I, I liked her arc. Yeah, I've seen it many times, did, but I don't remember like my first time. For you watching it just the once, like how long did it take you to kind of like start to remember characters and put people together? Um, 
Like, was it difficult or was it because I think it's no. told pretty, pretty linearly. No, yeah, I don't I don't think it's difficult at all. I think in that, like I said, in that scene, mm. because I from reading the description, I knew we were going to meet a sex worker. And I just I thought oh, it was going to be your stereotypical one yeah. where it's like she's saucy and like yeah. streetwise or whatever. Right. And totally not that no. situation yeah. at all. But I thought that in that moment. But then after that, no, I think they're all. They all stood out to me enough to where it was really easy to sometimes, honestly, especially in like mafia movies, it can be kind of confusing. Like I'm like, wait, who's this? And there's like a hundred characters. But in this one, I felt like they all, they're all pretty unique and they all have like their own, they're not caricatures, but they all have like Mm. their own thing. And so it's really easy to, to remember all of them. Uh, I may not remember all their names, but I'm bad at that in any movie or show. So (laughs) I've seen a bunch of times and I had to write them down for for doing this uh, show (laughs) with you today. So yeah. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I was just curious because that's one of the other things I saw in some reviews. It's like, it's confusing and I, I can't follow like who, who everyone is. Uh, but it is like, like you said, it's that, um, I've seen it compared to like Pulp Fiction and like a Tarantino style too, because it does kind of go yes, out of order yeah, with some of, the, some of the timelines, but it all makes sense. Like if, right. he, if he cuts away to like a flashback or like a, to something that's happening at a different time, it all makes sense within the flow of what's happening. So I, I never got lost. I just, so. No, I'm surprised to hear that, honestly. Yeah. I, I almost fear that they haven't seen a lot of movies like this. And yeah. so they're just like, because they're not familiar with the actors, no, um, they're having trouble telling the characters apart. Maybe but so, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's like no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any narrative problems in this yeah. movie at all. Like I never, I was never confused. I never, right. Uh, I, but also, I will admit that mm-hmm. there's some conventions that happen in this film that I'm familiar with, and mm-hmm. so that could be part of it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I can't ignore the fact that I have seen other, you know, Japanese films right. and. Not to be that person, but anime. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, not to say that that's the same as Japanese cinema, but there are some conventions that are used, I think, in in, in those shows For sure. that remind me of things that happen here. They're just, you know, every every culture has like its own conventions and storytelling, and mm. I feel like I recognize them here. So it could be having that previous knowledge made it to where I wasn't confused, and so yeah. maybe somebody that never watches anything like this might be confused but yeah no I'm, I'm surprised to hear that that sounds like they're just like looking for stuff almost though probably yeah <laughs> i think a lot of people do that but yeah <laughs> i agree with that and i think that one of the things that takashi Mike and the writer uh who he's worked with the writer a few times before uh masa nakamura wrote it and they did another movie that i would suggest uh sukiyaki western django which is like this weird bizarre japanese western um Tarantino is in it yeah seeing yeah Yeah. the previews for this yeah so that's a lot of fun but uh one thing that they do really well is they do play up on a lot of like I guess stereotypes for lack of a better word maybe archetypes Mm -hmm. is better but so it's kind of like that shorthand for you to just like get into the movie without having to get to know these characters super duper well because like you have the crooked cop and in the first scene where he's talking to Kase, you get everything you need to know from both of those characters. Young Yuck sure. is a guy. He is like kind of going out on his own, loves power more than anything else. And you've got the cop who is, has been entrenched with the Yakuza for however long. And he is just kind of looking out for himself, looking for a side deal wherever he can get it. 
that's all you need to know when you get that within like three or four lines between the two of them. So there is a lot of shorthand like that going on in this. Which I guess is pretty Tarantino-ish. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think for films like this, where there's so many characters, where it's high action, where it's fast paced, you kind of have to do that. Yeah. I mean, there's no real way to make everybody subtle. I think that would take away from from the excitement of the film because everything that's happening is pretty heightened yeah, anyway. For sure. So I think it, it really fits with that. But yeah. It's definitely more focused on plot than character. Uh, mm -hmm. but I do, we do get a lot of space for Leo and Monica to develop their characters, which is the most They have important. a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And like with this whole plot going on with the Chinese and Yakuza, Leo and Monica are really separate from that for probably the first two thirds of the movie, uh, except whenever Monica escapes from the, the cop or runs away from him. She didn't intend to escape. She just did. But after that, like they're separate until Kase and the cop come to get him and that's a good i don't know it's over an hour into the movie i'm pretty sure so they're given that space to develop their characters where everyone else it's kind of a yakuza mafia crime thriller stereotype but <laughs> the actors are so good and they're just at the edge of being over the top without being like a parody of i agree of anything that it you don't need to know anything more than two lines of dialogue, you get it and you can just go forward. I think it takes a pro to be able to do yeah. those big performances like that without mm. it going over the top. Yeah. And yeah, the two main characters, I mean, they're extremely innocent mm. in this film and it's almost like their innocence and their love and their honesty is what makes even the Yakuza, uh, you know, sort of support them in a way yeah. <laughs> in some yeah. parts of the movie. It's that, like, they're just so good. They all have to like, hey, you don't belong here. You right. know, you don't you don't belong to this world. Yeah. And that's uh, so we already talked about the the female uh, mafia, Chinese mafia member. Like she was like that. She she recognized mm -hmm. it just by talking to him. Cool scene, by the way, like she's talking in Chinese, probably like three quarters of the time to Leo. And then he's talking in Japanese. But she has enough. Uh, she has enough Japanese for him, Leo to understand what she's saying. But then at the yes. end, when she says go, she says it in Japanese and he says thank you in Chinese. I just thought that was a, oh, a really nice touch. That's a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Gondo, the the mafia, or sorry, the Yakuza boss with the sword that is like ready to fight. the. He's looking for revenge on the one-armed Chinese mafia member. And he's basically just looking to wipe out the Chinese mafia. Yeah. Has this strangely poetic uh, aspect to him. So in the scene where Julie is with the rest of the Yakuza with her dead boyfriend in their apartment, uh, Yasu was his name. Uh, the Gondo says something like, this is what happens when you fall for the wicked or something like that. Some very like <laughs> yeah. absurdly wise. poetic line. Yeah. yeah. Wise and poetic. And then at the end of the movie, he's the one that sees Leo and Monica and he's like, yeah, I know you didn't have anything to do with it. So just, let's go. And, uh, as he basically frees Monica and Leo, he could have killed them if he wanted to, but uh, right. he, he doesn't. And then as he's driving and the sun is rising uh, behind him, he's like uh, the something like the sun is no place for the wicked or something like that. And then he dies <laughs> as the cops follow him. So it's like <laughs> just so cool, like that bookend of that character does represent those like older probably like 60s 70s era yakuza movies and that idealism of the the good honorable yakuza member 
um, in that like really poetic and very kind of cinematic way. So he's mm-hmm. very much like he was pulled out of one of those older movies and just placed into here. But it, it works. Yeah, I guess it like, all works. Definitely. And I mean, I think the movie is sort of like a modern uh, love letter to those films. Yeah, it's it's in mentioned ways, in yeah. the films and then, you know, they physically also pay homage to it. So yeah. that's interesting. I didn't realize that watching it since I don't have that background. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because they actually name drop. Uh, I think it's Ken Takakura, who was... Oh. Uh, he he's basically playing or he basically was like the Gondo character in like a whole bunch of those old uh, Japanese uh, Yakuza movies. He was the honorable uh, Yakuza member who would fight for revenge to to avenge the fallen and stand up for the good side of the Yakuza and not the the backbiting and, and turning on each other movies that would come out later in like the, the 90s or whatever. Yeah. And I think one thing to mention is that you know, like there's a theme of drugs are entering the picture and that is like almost like a bridge too far for some yeah. of the, the Yakuza members. They're like, whoa, 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 like we don't deal with this. It kind of reminded me of like, I think Sons of Anarchy had a, an arc like that. Like, that, that seems mm-hmm. like a familiar arc where it's like, hey, we were cool with the way things were before, but drug running, uh, I'm yeah. not into that. Yeah. And also it's pretty taboo in Japan as well. Right. Like you can't like, I mean, I'm sure there's drug use, but it's yeah. not, it's looked at differently over there than it is here. It is. It's really not, it's not a cool thing even for like, for anyone really. Uh, the penalties are incredibly harsh, like, like incredibly. And yeah, Leo even mentions that at one point, he's like, I, when they're on the subway and there's then Monica sees the the dancing image of her father in the distance and he's like man I really want to see what you see but I really don't want to do drugs and that's kind of from my experience that's been the sentiment from most people I come across is like yeah I know I'm not interested in that at all so it, it's pretty tender, yeah. yeah and I mean like another thing is I feel like we've talked about this before too but like I think if you if you're famous and you do them over here, it's mm-hmm. like, well, they're famous. Yeah. They do that. But over there, it's like it can destroy your career. It's, it's not something that, yeah. you know, if, if people find out, it's a huge deal. So it's I think that's another animal. reason why the messaging is so anti-drug in the movie. Whereas yeah. I feel like a lot of mob movies over here or movies that have to do with drugs, they don't ha- they don't have that kind of messaging because it's like, well, whatever. But, yeah. you know, we're not going to say they're great, but they right. don't go out of their way to say they're bad. But even like... Monica, she's an addict, but it's not her fault in air quotes. Like right. even that would be probably too taboo. They have to like establish that yeah. she didn't want to do them because yeah, that would, but it's interesting that they're still tackling it with all that said and that mm. she's like such a sympathetic character. So I think that's good. Yeah, for sure. I think if she had been like, if she had been the one to initiate the drug use or if we had even seen her actually use any of the drugs during the movie. That's true. She doesn't do yeah. that. So, because there's that going back to the scene in the car with Kaze, I just it's, I love the entire scene. But so after they're on the bridge and he gets shot by that the gun from the Chinese mafia member, and so he gets shot in the side. And it kind of reminded me now, like of these more recent watching of of like Kylo Ren at the end of uh, The Force Awakens when he's <laughs> slamming his uh, uh, the side of his chest and the wound. But yes. he's basically got. Uh, Monica digs into the bag of drugs and she's like, this is really bad. I need something. And Kaze takes it away and puts it in his pocket. And when he gets shot in the side, 
the bullet goes through the bag of whatever it is heroin i think uh, I yeah i feel that. like they talked about heroin and yeah. meth so yeah. it's like one of those things right and he after so he's got the the drugs all over his pants and everything and we see monica like kind of scraping at it because it's there right in front of her it's easy enough to just grab it and put it in her mouth um and you see that look that leo gives her he's like no please don't but he doesn't physically do anything like he allows her good point. to not do anything and she doesn't uh she doesn't actually use it in that scene at all and uh then you go they're back in another car later with uh so the only people that survive the the shootout sword fight extravaganza in the department store are leo monica and gondo and leo is driving the car monica's in the passenger seat and gondo has the remainder of the drugs and he's like all right well like you said he's the yakuza that doesn't want these fouling up the the business basically he's like just get rid of these and so yeah yeah it's a great moment to where monica has the bag in her hand and leo looks over at her and she's looking at it and she stares at it and then she just turns over to leo like nods and then she starts to pour it out the window so we never actually see her take the drugs and the drugs actually are used to blind the cops to allow leo and monica (laughs) to go free so it's just this great metaphor of like freeing herself not only from the drugs themselves but also of everything that happened throughout the rest of the night. Yeah. I like how they conveniently get away. And then at the end they're like completely free. Like they take that shower and they're like, we did it. (laughs) Yeah. They wash all the blood off of them in the shower. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, they really didn't ever deserve to be in that position. So you're just really relieved that they don't, face any consequences i I never thought they would but right um because it's not that kind of movie but i i did appreciate how they wrapped it up like that i really like that yeah and they keep like you said they keep him completely innocent she never did a drug leo only fought when he thought that monica was in danger and he only his aggression was proportionate to whatever aggression was thrown at him so he never went like he wasn't looking to kill people even though he did one but he was never looking to do his re- yeah his reaction to when he shot that person he's just totally horrified yeah by it yeah and that's another thing yeah like you just... said, drugs are taboo but guns are kind of taboo in, yep. in japan as well like super super rare so when you see leo see that gun put in his face he kind of has a little smile on his face like what is this like he doesn't even understand what's happening he's like this is the first time i've ever seen a gun in my life and so it's interesting, like the difference in culture and how this, even how it's portrayed in this movie. So this hero in this movie is like, he's not really into the guns and he doesn't really want to use it. Yeah, he's not familiar with them. He doesn't, He like you said, he hasn't seen guns before. And then when he has to use one, he's horrified by the impact of it. Whereas I feel like you don't usually see that in movies like this a lot, especially over here, because... I mean, let's be honest, like most like mafia movies are like 90% guns going sure. off yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and characters being like, yeah. yeah, so it's like kind of a, a difference and, and yeah, a cultural difference um, for sure. So yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that too. I was like, there's a lot of guns in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are a lot of guns in like, if you watch any number of Yakuza movies, like there is a lot of like, yeah, uh, makes sense. lack of a better term, like gun fetishism, like guns are all <laughs> over the place and they're, they're looked at as a positive tool for the blood and violence in these Yakuza movies. But that's, I think that's one of the things that really makes this one different 
is that like the, the main sympathetic characters aren't really into it. Yes, there are a lot of guns and they're used and it's it's fun, but the main characters are kept kind of to the side of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a boxer, but it's not like Raging Bull, right? Like yeah. he he he's a boxer, but it's all in the ring and when he's outside mm-hmm. of the ring, he's he's actually a very like peaceful person. Right. He even yeah. apologizes to the cop for like punching him earlier in the movie. Oh yeah, he's like, oh no, well, especially when he realizes he's a cop because yeah. he's like a completely on the level normal person. Yeah. So he punches this guy thinking he's after this girl, then he realizes he's a cop, and he's like, um, uh oh, like <laughs> yeah. obviously I'm going to be in a lot of trouble now. Yeah. Luckily, he's a crooked cop, so he's yeah. not. But <laughs> but even when he found out that he was crooked, like that's when he apologized. Like he knows that. Oh, that's true. Him and Kase have this uh, scheme going on. He's like, what are you guys up to? But he's even. At gunpoint, Leo is still like, yeah, sorry for hitting you earlier. <laughs> it's true. He's just really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the uh, just the, the bizarreness of the animated sequence to, to escape, I think. I'm so, glad you like, brought that up. <laughs> yeah. So out of nowhere, uh, as Leo and Gondo and Monica are in the car escaping from the department store, they're on the second level of the uh, car park. And Gondo is just like, you don't really know exactly what they're going to do because they don't state it. Uh, but Gondo's like, yeah, just do it. And basically the movie turns into an animated, like basically an anime for 30 seconds as the car <laughs> in, in animated form smashes through the barricade of the second floor soars over like 20 cop cars lands in the street and as it spins out to turn around to go down the highway it it, uh, slowly transitions back into to real life so it's it's bizarre but i think it works for for this movie it's just like that extra punch to to be it also is kind of a transition from that previous world to all right now they're on their way out of everything yeah, I was wondering, I was like, is this supposed to be representative of Monica hallucinating or like maybe because yeah. all those drugs were coming out, maybe they accidentally inhaled it? Or I was yeah. like, is it like a budgetary thing where like we don't have the money to like film this I crazy feel like that was crash part of it. and so yeah. let's be creative? <laughs> yeah, which it, I like because it com- it's like sort yeah. of a n- wink to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And it was completely unrealistic. Like, how are you going to shoot that? Uh, one how are they going to get out of this situation because we had established probably like 10 minutes earlier when the crooked cop and the female mafia Chinese mafia member when they have their shootout in the like front area we see that there's like 20 30 cop cars out there so there's no way out of this department store so it's mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where the story the plot just went into this inescapable moment and so they had to do something completely ridiculous to get them all out. Um, and yeah, I think it was part of covering the budget for something like that, because I did notice uh, many times there were stuff that happened that would feel like it would cost a lot of money. Like you hear crashing cop cars in one part of the chase, <laughs> but you don't actually see them. You just kind of see them like kind of move to the side on the road. But the crashes all happen <laughs> off screen. Uh, the death of the Yakuza member who was the triple cross guy, the one that was working, the Yakuza guy who was working for the Chinese mafia, but actually was going to take the drugs from Kase for himself and like screw both sides of the mafia. 
like whenever he was killed by Kase, you don't actually see that happen either. So I think there was a lot of like budgetary things where it still works and it, it works maybe even better that way, but you don't actually yeah. see that extreme violence. Well, we don't see a lot of violence at all. I mm-hmm. noticed that too, that every time there's an extremely violent scene, it's pretty dark. Like, yeah. um, especially like the beheading scene. Yeah. Um, you don't like, I actually rewound it. Cause oh, I was yeah. like, wait, what? I missed it. Yeah. Like I, and I rewound it and I was, I was watching it. It was kind of bright in the room I was in. So I was like, maybe mm-hmm. that's why. So I like rewound it and watched it again. I'm like, no, they like intentionally obscure what's happening. So maybe yeah. like in some weird way, it's like, let's make this like Yakuza movie with like less violence. So I kind of like that too. It was interesting. It it's seemed different. that way too. Yeah. Is There's a great Yakuza movie called Outrage. It's uh, written and directed by, I think it's written and written, and, but it's definitely directed by a guy named uh, Takeshi Kitano, um, mm-hmm. who's, he's been in some American movies too, so I bet a lot of people would recognize him, but it is incredibly violent and bloody, and it's brutal, um, and that kind of set a standard, I think, for Yakuza movies around that time. I think it was probably early 2000s, somewhere around there, but yeah, a lot of these Yakuza movies are super duper violent. And, and that's the appeal and that's great but this one isn't so yeah it's just different yeah very cool did we miss any big scenes you wanted to talk about um i don't think so yeah i feel like we covered a lot of it i think the movie's like an hour and 40 minutes too yeah. right it's kind mm-hmm. of a shorter runtime yeah. well it's it's 48 so it's almost it's two hours busy. but it's not yeah. quite yeah yeah which for an action movie, I feel like sort of a sweet spot. You don't want them to be like too long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Action, comedy, crime is what it says. Yeah. I feel like you could add probably <laughs> three or four more descriptions yeah, or, or... Uh, genres to that. Yeah. <laughs> Drama. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only other thing I want to add is that I love uh, Julie's kick, like her front kick that she does like constantly throughout <laughs> the movie. It's like, I don't know. I can't say enough great things about that character. She was i remember when i saw it in 2019 like she was my favorite she was my favorite character from a new movie for that entire year just yeah it made a big impression yeah yeah she um she definitely stands out in the film like hearing that she's very famous over there and has a big tv presence and movie presence makes a lot of sense because Mm -hmm. it felt like they were giving her a lot to do yeah and but but it's kind of fun that she's not the main character right like i kind of like that about it which also feels a little bit Tarantino-ish having like a side character be so scene stealing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I watching the movie, I also felt like I liked all her scenes the most, mainly just that you couldn't kill her. I liked that aspect yeah, of her character. Yeah. Like she starts off as just the girlfriend and you're just like, uh, she's like the typical like screaming girlfriend. And then Nope. It's yeah. like 180. Actually, everyone should kind of low key be afraid of her. Right. And I yeah. like that. <laughs> like two of my favorite moments moments were when she finds out that it's Kase and she's screaming at the Yakuza. I mentioned it before, but when she says to the Yakuza guys who are kind of uh, taken aback by this, like pretty, she's not a large person. She's very tiny and she's pantsless and she's bloody and she's screaming <laughs> at them. And uh, there's that pause. So she has the uh, uh, GPS on her boyfriend's phone and that's how she knows where Kase is because Kase has the phone at that time. And there's that really long pause where they're like, you bug your lover's phone. And she just screams at him. is like, let's kill everybody. Let's just go kill. 
and you just smash cut to the next scene. Uh, I love that. And then just the one shot of her running through the streets uh, of Tokyo. I yes. think it might be Shinjuku. Just that one tracking shot of her running down the street, kind of in the distance, screaming at the top of her lungs with just like people around her and she's bloody. That must have been a fun night to shoot that, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I think another aspect to like any g- good like mafia movie, regardless of what the setting is, is it's very mm. like it, it's there's a lot of bravado. It's mostly men. Right. And so yeah. they're kind of like in charge and like the girls are kind of like, I mean, they're extraneous characters typically. So um, yeah. it was interesting that that's how they treat her. They're like, this is so-and-so's girlfriend. Like, who is this? Like, yeah. who is this lady? And she's just like, I'm here for revenge. And they're kind of yeah. like shocked by that. They're like, um, yeah. you're the girlfriend. You're supposed to like, run and hide at this point like yeah it's just funny that she has no yeah she's like no outside awareness of like well or maybe she does i don't know she just she acts like there's no nothing could possibly happen to her yeah and she's just out for her own private quest for revenge and Mm -hmm. you gotta love that yeah definitely (laughs) and yeah that's another thing like the the female characters in this movie i think are are very wide ranging. There's really just three, but they're very wide ranging. And you have the Monica that we talked about and Julia that we talked about. And the female uh, Chinese mafia member is really interesting in her own right. And she has, she's one of the few on that side of the story that does have honor and, and tries, tries to do the right thing, even though she's so entrenched by the end of the movie, like everyone who did something wrong, really, they all died. Like basically, and she was so fully in, yeah, she was so fully entrenched in the mafia that like, yeah, we knew she was probably going to die, but <laughs> she did it by exposing the uh, crooked cop who might have gotten away had she not been there. True. And you got to tie up all those loose ends so that yeah. our two main characters can get away unscathed. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no more Yakuza <laughs> to, to keep Monica hostage. And so no trouble. Everything is good. Yeah. Well, um, I guess if if we're at the end here, that brings me to my last couple of questions for mm-hmm. you. Uh, number one being, what what is it about this movie? If you had to sum it up, like why have you seen it six times? What what keeps you coming back? Uh, it's a lot of things. Like I said, I do love genre movies, just period. Uh, and this is one of the greatest blending of genres that I can think of. Yeah, it's mostly a yakuza movie, but it. It has more heart than a lot of other Yakuza movies I've seen. Uh, the violence is is fun. Uh, it it is pretty bloody and gory at times, but at times it isn't. Yeah. And the I think a big part of it is one the like amazing direction and editing of Takashi Miike, and also just the amount of characters that are in it that I can like even just the first time I saw it. I remembered every single character and there's uh, I got the little like advertising leaflets and stuff at the Angelica when I saw it. And it's like, they have all the different characters on there. And in the credits, they have like all these different characters from the movie. And it's like, yeah, okay. I remember exactly what this guy was and this one They're They're so fully developed in what they are. It's almost mentioned anime before. And I do feel like, that is something that the anime does really well is make these iconic characters, their look, their personality, the way they act and move. And that's what this movie does really well with the same way with these characters. 
Yeah, I I have to admit that I I mentioned earlier I'm not great with names, mm-hmm. and I also I also have an issue when I've just seen a movie having trouble like telling everybody apart in mm-hmm. the sense that I'm like this character did this, this character did that. Like they're not as memorable sometimes, yeah. and I do think that that this movie does that really well. It is sort of like we mentioned earlier a little bit. Pulp Fiction-ish, where mm-hmm. the, it's like every character kind of stands out and they're like their own thing sure. without being too over the top. So I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I think this movie is really entertaining and fun and like you can kind of just sit down and watch it and enjoy it. Um, you know, I think it's kind of it's a bit of a crowd pleaser, but it's also yeah. like you said, it's got some nuance to it as well. Yeah. So I it, it just it's just a good movie. Um yeah. How how do you, I guess I kind of already did this, but how do you pitch this movie to somebody? <laughs> uh, basically, action, I don't know, it, it is kind of tough, but yeah, it's the best blending of genre movies that I can think of. Action, heart, uh, amazing characters. That's basically uh, what I would uh, say. If you like quentin tarantino or any of those kind of like uh crime fun crime movies then this is definitely one you need to check out agreed i think um yeah i I, pretty much everything you said i think it is like a a a crime movie a sort of a crime boss movie but it's got action it's got comedy it's just like a fun ride and i think Mm -hmm. even if you're not super into those genres you'd still like this movie because it is a little bit different so it kind of kind of has something for everybody i think right well chris thank you so much for coming back i'm sorry it took so long (laughs) (laughs) you can seriously come back anytime like really appreciate having you and and look forward to, to to chatting again definitely uh, maybe maybe I'll I'll drop a uh, suggestion for maybe Halloween because I do like horror movies. So yeah, I thought you were gonna say Houseu this time. Oh, I really did because we talked about that a long time. Yeah, ago. I do love Houseu a lot. So yeah, if you'd like to have me back to talk about that, maybe that's a preview. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's on HBO Max. So yeah, yeah, I, I've got the Criterion. Oh. But yeah. <laughs> oh oh well. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um. Well, thank you so much, and yeah, have you back soon. Thanks a lot.